the Ain't No Fang podcast. From Arizona Sports, Ain't No Fang. It is the Ain't No Fang podcast. I'm Steve Zinsmeister with Cody Fincher as well, and it is time for the World Series. And it's our pleasure to be joined by Mike Farron, who is the pre- and post-game show host for the Arizona Diamondbacks, although I don't want to bury the lead here, Mike. You will no longer be the pre- and post-game show host for the Arizona Diamondbacks. So welcome to the podcast, first and foremost, but then also tell me why you're leaving. <laughs> well, mostly it's why are you leaving us? Cody. It's oh. Cody. That's the major reason oh, why. Okay. Um that that's finally what did yeah, me in. Sure. Steve, you understand how difficult I get it. it is being around him. You know, he's such an egotist. Yeah, it's um, all about me all the time. You know, it's not an easy decision, right? So, like, I, I, you know, I love living in Phoenix. I've always wanted to live here. I love the Valley. Um, but after six years, it's probably time to try and see if there are, might be some other opportunities for me. I think it's just as simple as that. I don't think anything in, in the note that I sent out the other day is uh, untrue. And I don't know that there's anything, you know, a, a more than that. I mean, I'm incredibly grateful for the opportunity that Derek Hall and Scott Geyer gave me. And uh, I'm grateful to have colleagues like I, I did while I was there. And, and, you know, I get to live the dream of calling Major League Baseball games, which is what I always wanted to do. And I hope to be able to do that again in the future. But, um, you know, but for, for now, I'm going to, uh, I guess, for lack of a better term, test free agency and see what's out there. So, you know, if I have to sign a minor league deal on February 6th, you'll know that the uh, that's where the market heads right so yeah well i i know it's all about me and that's why you're leaving so yes. whatever it's i apologize to the dmax fans it's my fault well, you uh, probably <laughs> it's probably a relief to them they're like oh thank god we always knew we liked that cody yeah 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 um mike uh so what's what is next for you i wonder uh you're still doing the serious xm show i yeah. i assume right yeah, and that's why I'm I'm in Houston right now. I'm anchoring our our coverage for the World Series this nice. year. So, um, so I'll be doing our pre and, and post game shows from there. And I you know I've been with them for nearly 15 years now. Um, so I will continue in that role. And then I I really I don't have anything lined up. So I'm looking at other opportunities, and we'll see what's out there. And um, you know um, maybe something comes up, maybe it doesn't. And, you know, leave, leave everything open, leave everything on the table. Right. So um, mm-hmm. I don't really have anything planned for the future other than, you know, we, we love living where we do. And, um, you know, I'm fortunate to, to have another job. So I won't be, you know, I won't be um, completely out of work. So if you're a baseball fan and you have serious, you'll still have to put up with me. Yeah. Well, and you have a good show. I mean, it's not like you're leaving empty handed like you talked about. And you guys are almost like good morning football for me. Like I'm not a, I'm not a big enough football fan to watch a football show every morning, but I'm a big enough baseball fan that I could do that. You know, so I that's what I love about your guys' show. Um, here's my question, though, is do you think that you'll pursue more play by play roles or do you think maybe it's an in studio gig? Like what are you most interested in? Well, I mean, I, I love doing play by play. You know, I mean, that's that's that was my dream growing up. And um, I think that's probably what I would look to pursue as well. So I think those are, you know, those are things that that um, excite me. It's been that part of, of the job, uh, despite the monitors the last year, which those suck. But um, the the actual calling of games is everything that I, I hoped it would be. And I don't I don't know that I enjoy anything quite like that. So, um, you know, it, it's been a great thrill to get that opportunity. And if and if I get a chance to do that again, that would be, you know, first and foremost in my mindset. 
Mike, random random question that, or random thing I wanted to get your take on. Uh, Mike Schilt was fired as the Cardinals manager. Yeah. Uh, that was really weird. Um, but it just made me think, and I never really, I don't think we got your take on this because it happened, uh, you know, after, before the season ended. But a guy like Mike Schilt gets fired from the Cardinals and Tori Lovello doesn't get, gets his job back with Dimebacks. Yeah. What was your take on Tory getting extended by the team? Well, I, I, I'm so, I mean, I don't think this is a shock to you, Cody, because we, we talk a lot during the season. Yeah. I love Tory. So um, I get 110 losses from the outside that it looks really rough. And I understand why fans would put the manager on the hot seat there. Um, I don't think that anything that happened um, this season was the fault of Tori Lovello. I mean, when you lose five members of your starting lineup at one point, and as soon as those guys come back, you lose four members of your starting rotation and, and your depth wasn't enough to be able to handle that. It's difficult for any teams to be. I mean, that's a big reason why they lost 110 games. Now, would they have, had they been healthy, been a playoff contender? Probably not. Um, but, you know, they were kind of in a transition year. And I think especially with young players going forward, Tori's really strong in player development. And I think that's what you're going to have is that roster turns over. Um, he's exactly the kind of person that you want to work for. You know, I mean, he's he his level of care for, for people is off the charts. Um, I think his baseball acumen is really strong. I actually think that there were a lot of things that he did that, that improved um, uh, tactically as a manager this year, specifically when it came to uh, trying to play for offensive advantages. Um, it's difficult when your bullpen struggles to get a real sense for how good a, a, a manager is of a bullpen. But I think the fact that guys never really cashed it in and veteran guys never really cashed it in, you know, like when they're in the midst of that eight and 50 stretch and Steven Vogt is still busting his tail down the line to back up throws at first base like that, that to me says an awful lot about the, the, the effort level that the manager is expecting. And that was still there. Now, are there things that need to be changed and fixed? Absolutely. Um, but I think Tory's the right guy to lead it going forward. And I think he can lead them to a playoff berth down the road. We're talking to Mike Farron, free agent broadcaster, I guess, <laughs> uh, on the Ain't No Fang podcast. That's what I'm going to go with. Where's Scott Boris when I need him? Right? Yeah. yeah. Who's your agent? No, I'm just kidding. Don't reveal that. Carlos um, Correa? Who's so I that? I have one. So, like, so that's now, now everybody's going to be like, oh, good, we can get him on the cheap. Yeah. I, I know this guy. <laughs> He's Co- representing himself. Great. I know this guy named Cody. He'd be great. Um, yeah. So this season, not you ever want to work again. Don't (laughs) hire me as your agent. Congrats. I got you a new job for a sandwich. Where's the sandwich? I ate it. Great. Thank you, Cody. Terrific. Um, You're welcome. As you were alluding to, Mike, there wasn't a lot to love this season in Arizona, but I want to ask you about your time in Arizona. Do you have a favorite memory from being in the ballpark or, or it could just be on the road, whatever. I mean, the wild card game, you know, certainly stands out for you know, one of the best atmospheres I've ever been at at a, a ball game. I, I would put there was a game in 2019 too against the Dodgers. It was um, uh, Mexican League Pacific Pacific League um, night. Uh, there was also a pub crawl <laughs> in the ballpark before the oh. game. We had 50,000 fans in the crowd and um, a lead over the Dodgers in the, in the ninth. And they put the first, I think they may have even loaded the bases against Archie Bradley. Um, and, or it was at least it was first and second and nobody out. And Christian Walker started an unbelievable double play. And the roar in that place was electric. That, that atmosphere, you know, as, as awesome as the wild card game was, um, that atmosphere was really, really special. Um, that's a game that I won't forget because it was just like, just, 
feeling the like the electricity in the air for that game was really really cool so um that's one i mean there are other things that that you know uh, i think i'll i'll remember fondly i've got a couple of games that that i did that i i really loved there was one in 17 when they were they were kind of scuffling along towards the end of august before they went right at the beginning of the the long winning streak and um there were a four game series in new york and on in the finale aj pollock had an opposite field home run to give them the lead and, and um you know i'll remember that there was a big comeback in san diego in 18 um with discalso and pollock homering that that i'll remember just in in terms of specific games, those are ones that definitely come to mind for me. The ones that that I enjoyed. Um, it's easy when the, the games are good, like the, then it's it's a great memory for all of that. But um, you know, a lot of it is just conversations with players. You know, I love being around a lot of the players, most of the players. I would say that that came through in the, the six years that I was here, and um, you know, players, coaches, front office guys that that and women that were willing to share information. Or or help me learn. Um, I'm extremely grateful for that. And so, yeah, those would be the, the kind of the things that I would take away most from, from the experience, at least from the baseball standpoint. And, you know, there's a lot of friendships there too, that, that, you know, I will continue to have um, with people who still work in the organization. Mike, one last D-backs question before we talk world series. Um, we saw this past off season, not a lot, of not a lot of stuff was done by the team to bring in, you know, players and whatnot. What do you think their approach is going to be this off season with, you know, making moves and where do you think, where do you think the direction is going to go this off season for the diamondbacks? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think a lot of it is going to be opportunity for some of the younger players that they have in the organization, guys that, um, are going to be matriculating to the big leagues. I think that there's certainly some pitching depth bullpen, depth issues that they're going to address. Um, I would think third base is something that they probably need to address externally. Um, those are a couple of the things that I think would be the focus, but you know, there's another, and and this is now that we're getting to the world series is starting to loom. And that's that the collective bargaining agreement expires December 1st and safe money is that there's going to be some sort of transaction freeze. So, um, you know, if that happens, you know, that's going to, to you know, put an impact on, on you know, the way that the free agent trade market looks, but I expect, that they will be more competitive than they were a year ago for sure. I don't think that there's anything in Mike Hazen's DNA or in Ken Kendrick or, or Derek Hall's DNA that wants to see them, you know, try to lose 90 games. Hell, they weren't trying to lose 110 either. They they felt like they had a much more competitive team like that. So I think what you're going to see is an effort to try and and push that forward. And then, you know, with the CBA, if there are now seven playoff teams in each league, which is something that's been rumored. And in fact, the league has a television contract that, that kind of stipulates that they get the most money. If that ends up happening, I think that would change their equation too, because it, you know, it's, it's one thing to, to you know, try and, and win the division when that's your only path. But if you can be in the top half of your league, you know, I think they the, the this group absolutely values postseason games, you know, and values that that opportunity to be able to play in the postseason. So uh, I would think if that ends up getting being part of the future, and I'm assuming that it will be, um, that they will be that they will be active enough to be in competition for those spots. I don't see that nobody has a good taste about what happened last year. Um, and I think that they're going to be want to be significantly more competitive while also being mindful of the fact that guys like you know Alec Thomas are on the doorstep and they're going to get opportunities if you had to bet who plays the most games in center field for the Diamondbacks next season is it somebody Mm. internal or is it somebody external 
And if it's internal, who is it? <laughs> I think it's going to be internal, but I don't think it'll be. I mean, first of all, the the free agent, like if take a, the a look back, the free agent market for center field isn't particularly good. It's Starling Marte, and then there's not much behind it. And center field has been kind of a, a tough position of late. I mean, I think it's tough for me to handicap which player would play the most there, but I would think some combination of Varsho, Thomas, Fairchild, and McCarthy would see the bulk of the run. You know, I think that that's – Jake McCarthy played a hell of a center field down the stretch, and I think there was enough to get excited about with the bat that there's potential there. Um, you know, obviously, Varsho, finding a way to get his bat in the lineup every day is going to be – you know, that was one of the real bright spots of the second half of the season was watching him perform. Um, and I think Thomas is going to be a pretty good center fielder. But I think those – that some combination – and I mentioned Fairchild in that because he's the one right-handed hitter in that bunch. Uh, but I would think that those are the guys that probably see the bulk of the time that you're more likely to see – tell settle back in at second that's a relief that's such a relief to hear you say <laughs> well i mean Cattell, the big problem with Cattell was yeah the big problem with Cattell last year wasn't that I, I don't think it was anything other than the fact that he had two hamstring injuries you yeah know? i mean that 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 impacted his ability to cover ground and he you know to that guy's credit like he was willing to make that move to center field that's not something that he had a lot of experience at and so the fact that he was willing to do it was i mean i think it speaks to him and his character um and you know he played pretty well there in 2019 when he was healthy you know so so i think it's you know i just think that that would be based on what we saw down the stretch and as much time as he spent at second base i would uh, assume that there's that he will play more games at second base than any other position next year all right let's talk world series talk about burying the lead we buried the world series um <laughs> we've got the astros who a lot of people will just look at this and say okay they were here in 2017 which was what four years ago i think it's a pretty different team even though the infield is identical as what it was mm-hmm. i mean it's a whole new outfield it's a whole new pitching staff the gm the coach it's all new and then you've got the braves who haven't been here in quite some time and you know there's a lot of good storylines there too with them replacing their entire outfield at the trade deadline what to you is the best storyline going into the World Series? Um, I think it's Dusty Baker, personally. I, I mean, I think, I think, you know, I for my money, Dusty Baker is underappreciated as a manager. There's always been this this feeling that that there's a focus on things that he couldn't do strategically, which I think a lot of it was bull. Um, I think. You know, Dusty being four wins away from a World Series, he's just the the ninth manager in history to manage a team from either league uh, in the fall classic. I think those are things that that, you know, to me is going to be a huge storyline and then connect it to, um, you know, Atlanta, where which is the team that he was drafted by, made his debut for. And remember, he was in the on deck circle when Henry Aaron hit uh, home run number 715 and Aaron passed away this winter. And so there's this huge connection throughout the, the series with with Aaron um, in large part because of, of not just the Braves, but because of Dusty. So um, I think. That to me is one of the most compelling storylines as somebody who had a chance to cover him a little bit when, when he was in Chicago um, and who has an immense amount of respect for him. Um, you know, I think he's probably a little bit different style, uh, both in terms of the way he, he runs a clubhouse and, and runs a game than a lot of the more modern managers. But, um, you know, it would be really cool for a lot of people who've known Dusty over the years to see him, you know, 
win a World Series finally because it's the only thing that's mess- missing from his resume. I mean, the guy's won nearly 2,000 games as a manager. He's the only manager in history to lead five different teams to a division title. Like, you start looking at that stuff and it's like, wow. Like, it, it really gets your attention. And the only thing he hasn't done is win a World Series. So um, I think that, to me, is one of the major overriding storylines in this. Mike, what do you think of the job that the Braves did this year? They they lose probably their best player in Ronald Acuna Jr. Uh, Marcelo Zuna has been away from the team for various reasons. Steve mentioned they had to build their rebuild their entire outfield with Rosario. Rosario is like the dude is unworldly on fire. <laughs> like it's insane how good he's hitting yeah. in this playoffs. But what what do you think of the job the Braves have done to kind of just because they were kind of floating around 500 around the trade deadline and they rebuilt their entire outfield and got a bunch of help. So what do you think? How how do you think the their front office handled everything? It seems like they did a pretty good job. Well, let's not forget that they also have played the entire season without well, the guy that was supposed to be their top starter and Mike Soroka. That's true. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they, they did that, you know, Ozuna getting getting eventually placed on administrative leave. But for for, you know, what police alleged was a, a, a domestic assault of his wife um, was one of the first significant issues that they faced and obviously far more serious than what happens on the baseball field. Um, and then, as you mentioned, the Acuna injury, I think they deserve a ton of credit. I mean, I think the you know, the signing of Charlie Morton last winter was huge for, from a rotation standpoint, he's going to start game one tonight. Um, and he is still, you know, even as he gets into his late thirties, one of the better starters in the majors, I think they're they're the job that Alex Anthopoulos did in acquiring Duvall, Soler, Rosario, Jack Peterson, all for relatively low cost in terms of both both financial ramifications and in terms of um, you know what the prospect capital was like was huge in terms of just giving them better outfield depth. I mean, for a while they were you know they had like you know Abraham Almonte playing every day, Guillermo Heredia, who's an extra outfielder for them. You know, they were kind of forced into that situation. So um, getting those guys after the Acuna injury, um, you know, it helped to bring a little bit of depth. And there was something interesting, too. I thought that Jack Peterson said yesterday at the press conference, he said that he, he walked into the clubhouse. And the first day he got there, he said it wasn't the Braves, didn't have the feel of the Braves teams that he was used to playing against, you know, this kind of high energy, excited team. And he and Stephen Vogt, the former Diamondback, who was also traded over there before he got hurt, um, kind of made it upon the uh, a point to um, to be excited about to to really bring energy and to bring some fun. And I think you've seen that with Peterson with the pearl necklace and yeah. um, you know just the, like it, uh, what kind of a bad man he has been <laughs> down the stretch. Um, but I think they deserve a ton of credit for being able to to not just fi- you know they couldn't fill a need with a player that would provide the production of either Acuna or Ozuna. So what they did is they got as many players as they possibly could, who were good major league players that actually has given them, you know, more depth and, and probably plays out pretty well in the world series. Cause all those guys could theoretically be in the lineup tonight for game one. I feel like general consensus so far that I've heard is that people are going to root for the Braves, people who don't have a stake in the, in either team in the world series, they're going to root for the Braves because of the Astros cheating scandal, mm-hmm. which we now found out about I mean, a couple years ago. So, but because of last season and the pandemic and we didn't have fans in the stands, I feel like a lot of people think that they didn't get their fair chance to hate the Astros. Right. And so a lot of people are going to be rooting against them 
because of the cheating scandal in 2017 where they kind of gypped the Dodgers out of a World Series. Not that we want to, you know, do any favors for the Dodgers, but I think a lot of people will be rooting against the Astros. Is that fair or should we just forget about that? Because like I mentioned earlier, the majority of this team is new. I mean, their pitching staff is entirely new. Uh, the coach, the manager, the coaching staff, the general manager, the whole outfield. They've got new stars like Jordan Alvarez and Kyle Tucker. I mean, this is a new team, right? Can we hold them accountable for what happened in 2017? I, I mean, I think that's going to be entirely up to to fans to make that decision. I, I think I, I certainly see a case for still being very angry at the players who were involved. Because remember, the players that are still there are... Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman, who are huge parts of that team. Yuli you, right. Gurriel as well. That, that entire infield, they were part of that team. And so if you're a fan, you're upset about it. I totally get it. I don't think that you, I, I can't tell you not to be. Um, I think if you're a person in baseball, you probably have very mixed feelings about it. Because the, the thing that's so disappointing is that, like, you know, I get a chance to be around some of these guys. Like, I love Carlos Correa. Like, Carlos Correa, to me, comes across as a very good dude who you know made a really poor decision in being a part of this. You know, I, I know, you know, AJ Hinch and Alex Cora pretty well. I know AJ very well, you know, the manager and the bench coach for that, that Astros team and Alex, um, you know, it spent a lot of time around him in the ALCS and I like them. I like them as people, you know, I think that they made some really critical errors and that team cheated. And I don't think that it's fair to fans to say, well, you should just get over it. Because you don't have to necessarily. Now, if you choose to, that's fine, too. I don't really have an issue with that. If you want to say that, you know, um, as long as you're not making excuses for other things, if you want to say, okay, well, it's forgiven and I just really enjoy watching Correa and Altuve and Bregman compete. I think that's perfectly fair as well. I don't think that you have to necessarily fall on either side of it. Whatever you want to have as a rooting interest, or if you want to go into a world series, like I, I never, I, but what I really haven't understood is like why you have to pick a side in a world series. If your team's not involved, right? Like I'm going to watch, I, I, you know, if, even if I weren't covering it, well, I guess I would be working, but like it, <laughs> before that, if there were teams that I didn't, care about in the world series i still watch the world series because i wanted to see the world series i wanted to see the teams that were, had played the best in the tournament square off so i think you can do it without a rooting interest on either side i think you can enjoy what will be likely be excellent infield defense um some pretty big hits and some some solid starting pitching from guys that you may not know um and something that should be a fairly exciting world series overall so I don't know that you have to necessarily wade down those roads if you don't want to. I think there's a lot of different ways to be able to choose to enjoy this World Series. If one of it is is being mad at the Astros, then so be it. Um, if one of them is is just you know enjoying the fact that we've got a World Series with fans in the stands and that feels a lot more normal than 2020 did, that to me is a pretty damn good reason to refer it to. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, um who do you think has the advantage here in this world series? Like obviously both offenses are good. Like the Astros will just out hit you, but they've had a lot of uh, pitching issues lately. McCullers is not going to pitch in the world series. Um, Zach Granke has not been very good. when he's been called upon the Braves have starting pitching, even without Mike Soroka. So who do you think has the advantage in, uh, in those areas? I mean, I think I, I would give the starters edge a, a little bit to the Braves. Their top three guys you know, are very good, Morton Freed and, and Ian Anderson. 
The fourth spot is a little bit more up in the air. Waskar Yanoa, who pitched very well early in the season, broke his hand in a fit of frustration, missed a good chunk of the year, and has been um, well was relegated to to a reliever role. Was supposed to start Game Four and then was removed from the roster because of injury. So I'm not entirely sure what they're going to do for Game Four. They did add Kyle Wright to their roster today, so it might be more of a bullpen game with Wright, who's a former first rounder, you know, factoring into it. Um, but so I, I like the top three guys on the aggregate, I guess, better than, than Houston's, but Houston's pitchers are, are still pretty good. I mean, Framber Valdez was dominant in game game four in Boston. Um, you know, what we saw from Luis Garcia was exceptional in, in the clincher. Um, you know, I think there are game five in Boston, excuse me, Framber. Um, there, there are other arms that are there that I think are, are really intriguing. Like Jose Arquiti is very good. So like they're, they're, they're both solid in that regard. So slight edge to Atlanta. I give the offensive edge to Houston for the mere fact that they just don't strike out very much as a team. And I think that that's really important in the postseason, um, especially when you're facing a lot of high strikeout guys. And that's the position that they're going to be in, in, in facing this um, Atlanta staff, especially with the way that that group of left-handers threw in the bullpen. Um you know, I think I think being able to take advantage of that is going to be be really important for Houston to put the ball in play. So I give them a little bit of a uh, uh, an edge there, and I think bullpen wise, you know, it's difficult to divorce everything from what we saw in um, the last round and how well that bullpen pitched. But I, I think it's probably pretty even for both teams. So. I I think there are. It's interesting. I was reading a lot of analysis this morning of people inside baseball that were kind of anonymously picking the Braves. There were a lot of people from the outside that were picking the Astros, and I actually think it's a fairly even series um, with these teams. So it's very difficult to try and find a, a clean cut advantage. In fact, I've got here. I'm, I was just trying to find my notes in front of me while we were talking here. But like when you start to look down, like where they were in terms of what their offenses did, and um, you know where the power came from, you know, like the biggest discrepancies are in strikeout rate for the teams um like that's pretty wide margin and and like but but Atlanta had significantly more power than Houston did this year so um and their pitching was pretty even so it's I I don't know I think it's got a chance to be a really fun series uh you mentioned real quick the the bullpen games um I've I have this question for you what do you think of bullpen games I mean it seems like kind of like the importance of a starting pitcher is kind of being not diminished, but I guess that's the word I'm looking for. But like, we've seen it work though in this playoffs and obviously the Rays have made a, a, a living out of using their bullpen like that. What do you think of the product uh, on the field that bullpen games present? Yeah. It doesn't bother me nearly as okay. much as it bothers I, me. I didn't figure it I mean, would. I, I just like, I think your goal is to win games in front of you. Right. And if, right. Um, you know, I think especially this year, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said for, you know, there have not been starters that have gone very deep consistently. But also remember what happened last year, right? We had two, a ramp up, a shutdown, a ramp up, and a shortened season. And I think there are a lot of pitchers that are taxed. I mean, just gassed at this point. So I think that That's has to factor into to the equation as well. Yeah. Um, bullpen games don't bother me. I think you're like, like the... I'm so I try to simplify things. Right. So um, I don't mind the creativity that comes from it. I don't mind the fact that, I mean, listen, starters have been going fewer and fewer innings for the last 
you know, hundred years, right? I mean, that's like the Haas Radborn has been dead for a century, more than a century, right? You know, so nobody's going to throw six hundred innings in a season anymore. Um, and I think some of it is health related, and some of it is performance with it, and and understanding, you know, how long it takes or, or where the benefit is or the detriment to getting a guy third time through the order. I mean, your goal is to win, right? So you've got to put yourself in that best position to do it. Like to me, the biggest issue that we have in baseball right now is the time of game. That's it. That's the the biggest thing that we're facing. I think it's really important that that's something that gets handled here in the not too distant future from major league baseball and the players association. I'm a big pitch clock proponent, um, but that to me, if you solve that, you solve all of the rest of the complaining. Well, that, and like, <laughs> let's face it. There's a good number of the players who are in the booth now, former players who played the game a certain way. And when the game evolves, they still analyze the game in the manner in which they played. This right. is not new. This has been something that's happened since Dizzy Dean was in the booth. Right. <laughs> so like, that's another part of where this discussion comes from. And then we have a much uh, larger media culture as as we and there's a lot more sports coverage and so we end up being part of the echo chamber in it so to me it's not nearly as big a deal as some other make it out to be somebody thinks it's a big deal that's fine but for me it doesn't i doesn't i go full jay cutler on it don't care my only <laughs> my only gripe is if i were to buy a ticket to a game and pay big money to go to the NLCS, and instead of max scherzer walker bueller julio urias instead it's joe kelly or Corey Knable. That's my only gripe. I'm not If it's going... a 3-2 game that's decided in the eighth inning, do you care who started? Um, to a degree, but I don't think general fans will. I care because I want to see the best players on the field at all times. At all times, and that's just where I'm at. It's it's like going so. Kenley to- Jansen getting six outs to try and lock down a three-two game isn't that the best player on the that field? That I point? love, but I think he would have been called on to do that regardless of who the starter was. Okay, but but if you but I mean if you're in a position where you only have three starting pitchers and those guys can't go any further, you know, or you're I mean, like people were making the complaints about the Astros in the last round. Did you see what their starters did? They were terrible. Yeah, <laughs> like that's why they threw six and two thirds innings. It wasn't because this was some grand strategy. It's because they didn't pitch well. They didn't right? have anybody. Yeah. So like like to me, I think it's yeah, it's great to say hey, that's the marquee matchup, and yeah, it gets you revved up for the game. But once the game starts, there's no guarantee that. Joe Hall of Famer is going to pitch like Joe Hall of Famer and not like Joe Thummer, you know, like that's one of the beauties of baseball. How do you win that game when that guy doesn't pitch well? I mean, if the game ends up being three, two and they're scoring late or there's a lead change or there are exciting moments or missed opportunities, like that's still an exciting game, regardless of who started it or who didn't. And, and the Dodgers had to do it basically out of necessity because Max Scherzer's arm was dead and yeah. Clayton yeah. Kershaw has been injured and they don't, they just didn't have his, they just didn't have starters. So <laughs> they didn't have starters. Right. All those I, mean, I mean, like that's the thing is like for as much as everybody talks about how all well these are planned and was, yeah, there's more planning to that. Sure. But how many of these teams were in positions where they had to do it to try and win? And the, the answer is a lot of them. And, and I will point out that the teams that had the most consistent starting pitching, really, and, and um, the Astros really had only applied to the last two games of the last round, but those are the teams that are left. You know, the, the, the Astros' bullpen saved them in the first four games of that series. Absolutely saved them. Their starters got 20 outs because they were bad. Like, they, it's not because they were, like, trying to, to avoid trouble. It's because there was traffic on the bases constantly. 
you know, Luis Garcia gave six runs in an inning plus in game two. So, right. yeah, I think I think some of it is overblown. And as much as we can pound our chest and be like, oh, I love these marquee matchups. I mean, how often do those marquee matchups happen? Like it drives me nuts on the, the Morris Smoltz game, right? Like from 1991. That's a great game. That's one of the greatest pitching performances of all time by Jack Morris. He goes 10 shutout innings to win the World Series, right? Smoltz went seven. he was done on the seventh so like what are we doing yeah fair (laughs) enough good points uh all right wrapping up with mike farron free agent broadcaster former uh pre and post for the diamondbacks mike i'm still technically work for the Diamondbacks. i know that's what i'm struggling with soon to be free agent that's what i'm struggling with because i don't want to say pre and post because i mean you don't unfortunately you don't have another game to do (laughs) from this point to the end of the season but well that's not true we may end up doing some fall league stuff for for sirius xm we oh will you so i don't know if that's but it's not finalized yet okay well that would be good talking out of school but yeah no that would be good though um Give us a give us a wrap up prediction for the pre, uh, for the World Series. What do you think is going to happen? I think the team that scores the most <laughs> runs on a given night will win that game. Oh, you stole that from somebody. What? I read it on Twitter this morning. Didn't you retweet somebody who said that? The Jack Peterson did. Well, that was Peterson. The job is to yeah. outscore your opponent. Yeah, but I say it all the time. That's a very John Madden thing to say. Well, the team it's, that scores the most points is going to win. I mean, it's obvious, but like that's I, I I don't know I don't know how to handicap the series. So I mean, I okay. cover you know it's like it's like when you really study the NCAA tournament and you finish last in your pool every year. Yeah. That's why I am the baseball. <laughs> Fantastic top flight analysis from Mike Farron. That's Current- why you just yeah. do just do no research ever. Yeah. And- yeah. Yeah, just don't do I it. Lost, I lost an NCAA tournament pool to a coin flip once back when I actually like followed and covered. A coin flip? A coin flip. The coin did better than I did. And they had a 16 seed winning in the first round. This was like 20 years ago. <laughs> That's devastating. That's awesome. Have you ever done a bracket where you just fill it out based on how cool the mascot is? For each team, that's a um, I, I've heard of that way of doing it. That's a winner. yeah. The best bracket I ever had was basically like I filled out in 30 seconds and I ended up finishing like eighth. <laughs> In nice. like a pool of like <laughs> eight hundred people, like so, yeah, and so just good enough to good enough to have bragging rights, but bad enough to not make any money on it. Nice. I'll go on the record. I think Houston wins this World Series. I think they're going to win it. Their offense is insane. I'm going to go Braves. Team of destiny. The team. Okay, you said density. You said the Giants were the team of destiny. Well, they too, were. Steve, they so. were the team of destiny, and now they're not. And now and the their Braves destiny's are. over. Steve, yeah. we're going to start calling you the cooler. Yeah, <laughs> I'm cool with that. All right, Mike Farron, wrapping up with him. Uh, current Diamondbacks broadcaster, Mike <laughs> Farron, and uh, awesome friend of the show as well. So thanks so much, Mike, for spending some time with us, man. We appreciate it. Anytime, guys. Take care. He is Mike Farron, current broadcaster. He wanted to make sure I said current broadcaster for the Arizona Diamondbacks. He's still also currently on- broadcasting. Yeah, he's also on SiriusXM, so <laughs> it's not like you can't find Mike Farron anymore, but uh, he did talk to us a little bit earlier about how he will be leaving the Arizona Diamondbacks. Some really great times with Mike. He's very generous with his time, and he's covering the World Series this week, so we got to get a couple of his thoughts on, on that as well. But as we get ready for the World Series, this has been the Ain't No Fang podcast. Check us out again later on in the week. We'll talk more about the upcoming matchups in the World Series between the Astros and the Braves. I'm Steve Zinsmeister. That's Cody Fincher. It's the Ain't No Fang podcast, which you can hear here at ArizonaSports.com and on the Arizona Sports app.